Last week, we considered people that were to be held in high esteem or regard, people like Timothy and Epaphroditus. This week, we look at people that are not to be highly regarded. They're not to be emulated, followed, or even to be looked upon favorably. These individuals have a false view of what is true spirituality. In fact, they even have a false view of salvation itself. While at first glance, they might appear to be very spiritual to people because they are highly religious. However, they are what is referred to later as enemies of the cross of Christ. So our theme this morning is that we must be on guard against anyone that teaches us that salvation is based on anything other than true saving faith in Christ alone. As we look at this passage, Paul begins by strongly warning the Philippians to be on guard against those who would place any confidence in their own righteousness. The seriousness of the problem with the Judaizers is seen in the threefold warning. Judaizers were people that were insisting that in addition to believing in Jesus, people had to adopt several of the practices of Judaism in order to be truly converted or saved. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, three times we are told to be on the lookout. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. The NAS says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evildoers, beware of the false circumcision. The word that is translated as to look out or to be aware literally means to see. Have your eyes open. See these people for what they are. Do let, don't let them escape your notice. Be on guard. Don't be taken in by these Judaizers but see them for what they are not. Are They are not the epitome of spirituality. <clears throat> the seriousness of the problem with the Judaizers is seen in the threefold scathing epithets that Paul employs in describing the Judaizers. This is how they are to be described. They are referred to as dogs, verse 2, as evildoers, and as those that mutilate the flesh. Now, as we unpack each of those, dogs was a derogatory term that the Jews employed against the Gentiles. The Jews commonly referred to the Gentiles as dogs. They were pagans. Jesus himself even used that uh, word in describing the Gentiles in Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. Behold, a Canaanite woman came out from that region and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came to him and kept asking him, saying, Send her away, for she is shouting after us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
And then she said, but even the dogs eat of the crumbs. It was a word of derision. Here are these Judaizers who view themselves as the epitome of what it means to be religious. Paul uses the most scathing word that would be the greatest affront to them. They think they are Jews. They're dogs. They're Gentiles. They're pagans. They're lost. They're unsaved. That's what's meant by that phrase. They are dogs. Notice also that uh, he says that they are workers of evil. Workers of evil. Evil doers. Verse 2. Rather than be admired and held in high regard for their quote-unquote good works, they are to be seen as people that aren't doing good at all, but they're actually doing evil. What they're saying is not right. It's wrong. So Jesus refers to the Pharisees in this way. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You see, they are actually leading people to destruction. They're not leading people to the truth concerning God. They are leading them, these people actually to hell. And as such, they are evil doers. Well, they're quite active. They travel about on sea, on land, in order to make proselytes, but the result is that uh, they are workers of iniquity. Zeal, or religious fervor, is not enough in achieving a right relationship to God. I think that is something that we have to absolutely stress in the day in which we live. For oftentimes, uh, people are looked upon favorably if they are zealous, if they are sincere, if they are active, if they are doing good in the sense of helping people, even though they don't believe the truth concerning Jesus Christ and salvation. In fact, it is a growing thought among evangelicals that as long as people have faith in something and are doing good, that they're going to be saved. That all religions ultimately lead to Christ. It has been said that uh, you can't be saved without coming to Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. But there are many today that say there are many roads to Christ and that there is a savior figure in just about any religion. And they don't know that it's Christ, but it is Christ and therefore they are saved. Nothing could be further from the truth. And we have to be aware, we have to be on the lookout, and we have to know that for a certainty. Paul's writing in the book of Romans is strong. He says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and may my prayer to God for them, it's referring to the Jewish people, is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, 
They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Not knowing of God's righteousness, not knowing how righteous God really is, that he is so righteous he cannot look upon sin, and failing to recognize the righteousness which comes from God, the righteousness he gives through Jesus Christ, they're trying to make themselves righteous. And in so doing, they're lost. No one is saved on the basis of their own personal righteousness. This passage teaches us that there is nothing admirable concerning people who are zealous for false religion. These are strong words. Dogs, doers of evil. We might be embarrassed sometimes by the kind of commitment that is manifested by cultic followers. You know, there are people in other religions and in cults of Christianity that are incredibly active and sincere and dedicated. And we may have a tendency to admire the dedication, but just remember, just remember, they're lost. And in the sight of God, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. These Judaizers are to be seen as those who practice false circumcision. Notice verse 2. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. The uh, false circumcision, NASB says, King James uses a play on words. Look out for the concision. The false circumcision literally refers to a mutilator of the flesh. The procedure that they engage in is no different from genuine uh, circumcision. But what Paul is deriding is that that circumcision is meaningless. It's of no value. It's nothing more than just mutilating the flesh. Why? Because their teaching concerning circumcision is entirely different from that which the Word of God teaches concerning circumcision. They're saying that a person is right before God based on their having been circumcised. That's not what the Word of God teaches. So they have corrupted it. They have turned it into something that mutilates the flesh. In this passage, we're not given a list of names of those who are Judaizers. Thus, the Philippians have to practice discernment. He doesn't say, look out for these six people, but rather he says, understand the teaching and disregard it in like manner. You know, we aren't just going to stand here this morning and list the false religions or even those that claim the, the name of Christ, but yet are not born again. But we need to be on guard. We need to be aware of those that would teach a salvation that is other than purely faith in Jesus Christ alone. Or that one becomes in a right relationship with God through some kind of ritualistic practice. The closest thing in our culture that we can come to that is like the Judaizers is those religious people that somehow think that simply because you have been baptized that you are in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. 
They taught, as long as you were circumcised, that's fine. Now you have a relationship with God. There are many in our culture that teach, as long as you've been baptized, as long as you have water sprinkled on you as an infant. The Roman Catholic Church teaches baptismal regeneration. They teach that through the baptizing of an infant, that child is guaranteed eternal life. That's not how a person is born again. There are other groups that would teach that unless you are baptized by water, <clears throat> then you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized in order to be saved. And then there are a group of people out there that teach a quote-unquote spiritual baptism that one must experience if they are truly saved, and that is to be manifested in speaking of tongues and the manifestation of other gifts. And uh, if you don't speak in tongues, you aren't saved. We need to realize that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. That is the true salvation. Secondly, Paul gives his own testimony that he does not place any confidence in his own righteousness as a way of gaining merit or earning a relationship to Jesus Christ. If salvation were by circumcision, as the Judaizers taught, then Paul would have had good reason to believe that he was saved by the rituals that he practiced and his, by his religious observance. Notice verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, if you want to look at personal righteousness, if you want to look at personal goodness, if you want to look at religiosity, if you want to look about being a good Jew, if you want to talk about being circumcised, then Paul says, if anybody was saved on that basis, it's me. If anybody earned their salvation, it's me. Now notice his credentials. One, Paul surpassed the Judaizers, what they taught about circumcision, because Paul was circumcised as prescribed by the law. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. They say you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul says, not only was I circumcised, I was circumcised the way the scripture teaches. And that is you're to be circumcised on the eighth day that you're born. I wasn't just circumcised, I was circumcised at the right time. Paul wasn't just a, a proselyte, he wasn't just a con convert to Judaism. He was born a Jew. Notice, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a real Jew. He was of the ethnic quality. He was a literal, physical descendant of Abraham. Now, he was a Jew, but he was a Hebrew-speaking Jew. Verse 5. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. One of the synonyms for a Jew was a Hebrew. And they were called a Hebrew because that's what they spoke. They spoke Hebrew. But after the Babylonian captivity, after the dispersion 
There were many Jewish people that lost the ability to speak Hebrew. They were Hellenized, meaning that they grew up speaking Greek. And there were many people in the New Testament era that uh, were Jewish that couldn't speak Hebrew any better than what we can. They were simply Greek-speaking Jewish people. Paul says, I wasn't one of those Greek-speaking Jews. He said, I'm a Hebrew-speaking Jew. Goes on to say, uh, Paul practiced a strict adherence to the Jewish law. He said, as to the law of Pharisee, I was of the most conservative sect. I was of the most devout of all the religious groups. I wasn't an Essene. I wasn't a Sadducee. Sadducees denied a resurrection. Sadducees denied the uh, existence of angels. The Sadducees were the liberals of our day. Paul said, I was no liberal. I was a Pharisee. I believed in the resurrection. I believed in angelic realms. I believed in miracles. Paul says, you want to talk about zeal? Verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. I was so zealous for what I believed in that I went hither and yon finding those Christians and slapping them in prison. I was dedicated. I was sold out. I spent every waking moment to advance my religion. There was no one more zealous than I. In summary, he says if their righteousness could come by keeping the law of God, then he was righteous. As to the righteousness under the law, blameless. Blameless. I did everything I was told to do by the Jewish leaders. Obviously he wasn't sinless, but that's not what they were basing their salvation on. They were basing their salvation on works, on rituals, on zeal. We must remember, we must keep in mind that, quote, good people are lost. Zealous people can be lost. Religious people can be lost. Committed people can be lost. People who pray can be lost. You know, sometimes we think as, as long as somebody prays, well then, obviously they must have some relationship with God. Paul prayed all the time. It's about faith in Jesus Christ and faith in Christ alone. That is the only determination of who is saved and who is not. Paul has no confidence in his own righteousness. Only the righteousness that comes through faith. These things do not make one spiritual. That which previously Paul viewed as good works and meritorious now count for nothing. Notice verse 7. But whatever gain I had, whatever gain I had, whatever profit I thought that was coming from this stuff, Whatever merit I was earning, whatever brownie points, however I thought this was advancing my relationship to God, I thought I was becoming more spiritual by doing these things. Paul said, I realized that they were a loss. 
I realized they didn't make the grade. I realized that they did not profit me. In fact, Paul views all of that as garbage. Look at Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. He's talking about circumcision. He's talking about these things. He's saying, I look at that as garbage now. In fact, it's much more graphic than that. King James has a more literal translation where it says, I count them as dung. As dung. I won't use the slang name for dung, but you know it. You know it. Paul uses that kind of language to talk about that personal righteousness. It's dung. That's how valueless it is. That's how it doesn't achieve salvation. It's useless. Don't hold it up. Don't admire it. Don't try to be like that. Don't adopt those beliefs. Paul's complete confidence is found only in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Salvation is faith in Christ plus nothing. Salvation is based on the work of Jesus Christ, not our work. It is his death on the cross. It is his good life. It is his goodness attributed to us and he taking upon himself our sin that saves us. It's not even his works plus our works save us. No. It's his works alone that save us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We can take no credit in our salvation. It's a gift. It's a gift. And don't let anybody tell you you need anything other than faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Don't let anybody peddle baptism on you. Don't let anybody peddle spiritual baptism on you. Don't let anybody peddle anything on you other than true saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, saving faith produces works. Saving faith brings about transformation. But it is faith in Christ alone that saves. Next week, we are going to look at how true religious zeal manifests itself. What real religiosity looks like. Being religious is a good thing if it's done in the right way. But here we learn that salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. We're ready to move to communion. And we are going to celebrate together the proclamation of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to proclaim that it is through Christ's death and resurrection and faith in his person and work that we are saved. Faith in that alone. You don't need anything else in order to be saved. And don't be mistaken. Don't be misled. Don't be fooled. I don't care how religious you are.
I don't care how often you pray. I don't care how often you do a good deed. I don't care how often you sacrifice in order to help other people. If you've never ever prayed to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and trust in him alone for your salvation, you are lost. You are lost. You are lost. There is no salvation apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's ever a time that needs that message, it's today. It's today. It sounds narrow. It sounds limiting. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads unto salvation. Truth, few there be that find it. But the wonderful truth is that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. All men come unto the Father through me. The gospel is offered to every single human being. The gospel is offered to every single person. And there is no salvation without believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us take communion, symbolically, symbolically proclaiming our faith in the Lord Jesus. Men, if you would come forward at this time. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to partake of communion this morning. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we ask that you would refrain uh, from uh, the uh, taking of communion for uh, not any rule that we have, but because of the teaching of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me just say, there's no reason you can't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior right now. Uh, just in your own heart and mind, acknowledge your need of a Savior. Acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner. Acknowledge that you don't love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and you don't love your neighbor as yourself as you should. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to help you. Ask God to transform and make you into a new person. But trust in Jesus Christ alone. Do that, and you are welcome to take communion with us this morning. If you come. Thank you.
you hold in your hand a piece of unleavened bread that stands as a symbol of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for each and every one of us who believe in his name and accepted his word, his work on the cross. And today we remember that work that was accomplished for us. Even the Lord's Supper was initiated by Jesus Christ. It wasn't something that the apostles did or initiated to Christ. It was something given for them, quite apart from their own works. And as Pastor mentioned, Paul was somebody who, if it were possible to be saved through his religiosity, it would have been Paul, but it was not possible. And I am such a person, standing here before you today, as somebody who, as recent as 18 years ago, attended church, did all the religious things, thinking that I would be saved by being good enough. And it was only in 1999 when Sarah witnessed to me that I realized through the gospel that only through Jesus Christ could I be saved, only through his work and nothing else added to it. And so today, as we hold this in our hand, we remember that gospel, we remember that work on the cross, acknowledging that it's only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved, and we give him great thanks for it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took this bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember him this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for that salvation that was accomplished on our behalf. And today, as we take this bread and this cup together, we do so in an attitude of thankfulness for that salvation that was accomplished for us, for those of us who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross as the sole way for us to be forgiven and to be made right in your sight. And so we thank you for that salvation, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take and eat.
you hold in your hand the emblem of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last time that we took communion together, I spoke on the fact that by the sacrifices there is remembering of sin every year. We're remembering the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west, how they are totally gone. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. He was not talking about literal flesh and literal blood. He was talking about a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, a personal faith, a personal trust. As you drink of this cup, you are publicly proclaiming to everyone around you that you are trusting in Jesus' blood and that alone to take away your sin. By eating the bread, you are proclaiming you are trusting in the works that Jesus performs on his body, not your own, for all the things that we should have done and have not done. The bread are the sins of omission. The cup are the sins of commission. Through Jesus Christ and Christ alone, we are righteous. Let us proclaim our faith in the Lord Jesus. Drink ye all of it. What a privilege to partake of these emblems this morning as we reflect upon the work of Jesus Christ. What an appropriate hymn to close our service this morning. Would you turn to hymn number 287? 287. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. Oh, may we just rejoice this morning that Christ, by his mercy and grace, has called us to himself, revealed himself in the person of Christ and through the Holy Scriptures. Let's rejoice in our great salvation this morning as we sing together number 287. Shall we stand as we sing? My faith has found resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me.
God, we thank you for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that through him we experience the forgiveness of sins and enjoy peace with God. Thank you, O oh God, that it is not in us, it's not in our goodness, it's not in our faithfulness, it's not in our committedness, it's not in our dedication. O oh God, salvation is a gift of you. Thank you for the freedom that we enjoy. Help us not to use that freedom for licentiousness, but Lord, may we live lives of dedication, not to earn our salvation, but to proclaim our love and commitment to you, for you are worthy. You are God, and you are to be served. Now may the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, to whom be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen.